Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the first 17 verses of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. But rather than read all 17 verses, I would like to read some selected verses to give you a feel for the movement of this passage. And if you're following along, of course, you can read the verses between those I read or read that whole section later as part of your continuing reflection upon God's work in the world. Let us hear God's word to the church and to the church in the world. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. In the summer of 1969, I was nine years old and became a fan of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. It was the first professional sports team I followed, and I have remained a fan over the past 48 years. 
Why a Tigers fan born in North Carolina, I have no clue. I imagine I saw them play on TV. But as an energetic and committed fan, I would look at the newspaper every day during the sports season to see if they had won or lost. I began to pay attention to particular players from those 1969 Tigers. Al Kaline, Willie Horton, Norm Cash, Bill Freehan, Denny McLean, Mickey Lolich, and John Hiller. When I graduated from seminary in 1986 and moved to Northeast Ohio, where I served as a pastor for four years, upon my arrival, I set my sight on a trip to Detroit. That summer, for my very first Major League Baseball game at Tiger Stadium, the old Tiger Stadium. <laughs> I camped at a provincial park near Lymington, Ontario, and drove in for my first Tigers game. The Tigers from that 1969 team were long gone. My team, yes, my team, had a new roster of players. Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell, whose names seemed to belong together. Kirk Gibson, Chet Lemon, Darrell Evans, Lance Parrish, Jack Morris. I don't remember whom they played or whether they won or lost, and that really didn't matter. I do remember that one of my childhood dreams had been fulfilled, seeing the Tigers, actually being with the Tigers at Tiger Stadium. Now, I'm keenly aware that not all of you are Tigers fans or baseball fans or even sports fans. So let me think with you about some players on another team you may have followed or at least may be aware of in your life. Noah Wells, John Beach, William Curtis, Martha Leach, Dr. Gelston, Pastor Anderson, William Lemon. Oh, I should pause. Some of you may not be aware of who these players are. Noah Wells was pastor of a church in Detroit who came to Ann Arbor, a two-day journey on horseback to help organize this church in 1826. John Beach was your first installed pastor serving from 1831 to 1838. William Curtis was your second installed minister beginning in 1943. He married Martha Leach in 1845. She had been active in organizing groups of women in the East and organized the Ladies' Aid Society in this church sometime between 1845 and 1855. Since that time, the women of this church have been active in local home and foreign missions, supported medical and missionary students in many countries, and supported your church budget through a variety of activities. Dr. Gelston helped to spark your campus ministry in 1866 with the chartering of the Tappan Hall Association. Pastor Anderson and a committee began a search for property upon which to build a new church in the 1920s as the old red brick church could no longer accommodate your congregation and ministry. A move and a change I'm sure that some people did not like because they loved that old red brick church. 
William Lemon was your ninth installed pastor and served this congregation when your building was dedicated in 1938. These members of your team in the past and others who are identified by group rather than by name are in the news pages of your history on your church's website. These news pages highlight your work over the years from generation to generation to generation as you have aspired to be faithful to the gospel and to your calling in this place. There is so much to see, to learn, and through which to be inspired on your web pages. Even more than the 1969 Tigers, or the 1986 Tigers, or the sports teams you may have followed at points over the course of your life. Whether a sports team or a congregation, we always are at the intersections of building upon the richness of our past, doing our work in the present, and building for the future. The readings this morning from the Gospel of Matthew have an intersectional dynamic between them. Matthew 1 begins not with the birth of Jesus, but with a genealogical review of the 42 generations that span time from Abraham to the Messiah. Such detail is critical not only in linking Jesus to Abraham through David, but also in casting his birth and life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, as a fulfillment of all that has preceded him. This narrative, this master narrative over the course of the Hebrew Scriptures, builds toward the future, builds towards God's continuing initiative in establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. Matthew 4 has a pivotal verse in the gospel, verse 17, which precedes our reading for this morning, in which Jesus proclaims, Repent, change, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Following that proclamation and where our reading in this chapter begins, Jesus calls people to follow him. First Simon and Andrew, then James and John. As Jesus travels throughout Galilee, he teaches in synagogues, proclaims the good news of the kingdom, and heals people from disease and illness that inflict them. And the crowds build. And the crowds follow toward a mountain where Jesus will continue to teach those who follow in what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. People and purpose. Whether we're thinking about the Detroit Tigers First Presbyterian Church or the narratives of the Hebrew Scriptures and their fulfillment in the ministry of Jesus, each seems to be building for the future. Building, of course, is not referring to a building or this building, although in your case, this facility is relevant to you as a people and the purposes for which you gather. Instead, building seems to concentrate on creating and mobilizing and moving forward based on a purpose or a mission and a vision of what may be, of what could be, of what should be. You are a church with a lot of people. In people, you have an abundance of treasures, an abundance of gifts and abilities, of interest and passions, of commitments and callings. You are a church with a lot of purpose, 
or perhaps I should say a lot of initi initiatives and programs and activities that organize you as a people with a purpose to engage in meaningful work, in faith-forming work, in caring for others' work. As you seek to grow and to love and to serve, as you follow Jesus and as you continue his ministry. And so now I wonder, what are you building for the future? How are you building for the future? And why are you building for the future? I do assume you're building. After all, the kingdom of heaven has come here, but is not yet here in its fullness. And Jesus is still calling people to follow, and others eagerly await the proclamation of good news, words that teach, and actions that heal. I wonder, what is your vision for your ministry in the future? And how can you faithfully build upon the past as you live into the future? I ask these questions because it is so easy to reminisce, to become nostalgic, as we recall with fondness those selected memories that remind us of whom we used to be. Several years ago, I was speaking at a Presbyterian leadership development event in Birmingham, Alabama. It was August. It was a beautiful day with mild temperatures and low humidity. And yet 175 people had gathered in a fellowship hall for plenary sessions and workshops. As I spoke with them, I asked them this question. Do you think the church's best days are in the past or in the future? Their heads dropped. I had my answer. I said, I make a motion. If we think our best days are in the past as the church... I move we adjourn. You can go outside, it's a beautiful day, and play tennis or golf or have a picnic or a walk, and I'll get an early flight and take my wife out for a dinner date. They weren't convinced. So I asked a similar question, but with a different twist. Do you think God's best days are in the past or in the future? The heads came up. Again, I had my answer. And so I continued, if we think God's best days are in the future, how can our best days as the Church of Jesus Christ also not be in the future? Yes, they may look a little different. Yes, we may not do some things we do that, or did that worked for us 20 or 50 years ago. We will do new things and be new things and become new things as we continue to live into God's calling and to serve God's purposes. The key to me is vision. God's vision for us as God's people. And in response, our vision of what it means to be the people of God organized in this community of faith and practice in the world. When I think of vision, I'm not thinking of vision of how to sustain the good things we have been or are but vision that is more aspirational, vision that seeks to do new things, to be new things, and to become new things, given the current and emerging needs and opportunities in our context. A vision for the future, especially God's vision for the world, gives us a basis upon which to build. A vision for the future that is born of God's vision for the world inspires us to invest 
to invest in what we build, in how we build, and why we build. To be sure, you have many assets upon which to build for the future. You have a rich history and tradition. You have a clear identity as a people of faith who aspire to grow, to love, and to serve, and to participate in the ministry of Jesus in the community and to the ends of the earth. You have meaningful worship, rich and abundant educational opportunities, vibrant ministries with children and youth, a presence in campus ministry. Stephen Ministries and other small groups and so many other things going for you. You have a deep base of leaders and members in a variety of roles. You have resident members who spark your imaginations with new energy and possibility. And you have seasoned pastors who continue to preach and teach and care and guide. You have a facility that has endured the passage of time. But more than anything else, anything I have listed or you might identify as your assets, you have a gospel in the presence of a risen Christ. You have an invitation to follow and a calling to bear witness to the reign of God here and now and everywhere. And you are in a community, a state, a region, a country, and a world that needs perhaps more than ever to hear good news, particularly the good news that Jesus brought into the world. So again, I wonder, what are you called to do as you build for the future? Naturally, it would be easy for us, perhaps even tempting, to focus energy and attention on fixing or updating who you already are, with close attention to a building that sometimes begins to show the wear of time. It would be easy and tempting to give close attention to a budget that may struggle at points to keep up with rising operational costs and financial commitments to a variety of programs and mission initiatives. It would be easy to pay close attention to a membership that may be slowly aging, even as younger generations are attracted to and participate in the life and ministry and witness of this church. These usually are the big three, buildings and budgets and members. Allow me to suggest some additional options, some different options as you move forward. My thoughts focus more on people, purpose, and context than building budget and membership. First, and therefore, for those of you who count, four Gospels, four suggestions. Identify the hidden and less obvious treasures already present in your midst. Let me say that again. Identify the hidden and less obvious treasures already present in your midst. I imagine there are gifts and commitments and passions among your members that have not been expressed as much as they may yearn to be expressed or God would call them to be expressed in the existing ministries of this church. Imagine what this church and your ministries would look like if the gifts in this congregation were unleashed within this community of faith and the larger community in which you're located. Secondly, create new things as you move forward. New things, whether new relationships or initiatives or partnerships, generate new sources of energy and deep resources of vitality. Third, look around you. In and beyond the neighborhood, remember that the gospel of Jesus first proclaimed and taught and enacted through him 
and subsequently through his followers, had an impact upon crowds of people who often were at the margins of life. The gospel is not only here to nurture us. It is to equip us to have an impact on the world as did Jesus. And as we can and as we will if we follow him and his calling. And four, think of how you carry yourself into the world we are called to engage. What identifies you as part of the ministry of Jesus? As part of the ministry of this church as you go into the world? A few minutes ago, I remembered with you my first Major League Baseball game in the old Tiger Stadium in the summer of 1986. My only other trip to see the Tigers play in person was in June of 2014. The General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA was meeting in downtown Detroit. I was going to be present for a few days, and the Tigers were in town. Surely, surely this was divine providence. So, of course, I went to the game, and I bought my first Tigers jersey. There were so many options from which to choose, so many possibilities that I was interested in, but I chose this one. Amen? Amen. I think we have become comfortable, probably too comfortable, when we are in ministry on our home field, on our home turf, wearing our home jerseys. It's easier to play to be in ministry at home. We are familiar with our playing field. We are surrounded by friends and fans. When we are playing or in ministry, not at home, we leave behind the familiar. And if we are the Detroit Tigers, we wear an away jersey that lets others know and reminds us that we are not playing at home. Seventy years ago, many congregations like yours grew Perhaps the preaching and teaching were excellent. Perhaps the fellowship dinners were delicious. Perhaps the, the commitments to mission were strong. Whether these dimensions of our ministry were strong or not, many churches grew because people like us were having children like us. We populated growing congregations and expanded programming, facilities, and staffing because of higher birth rates. Moreover, the church was an end thing. Many people wanted to be on our team to wear our jersey. And we look back and we remember, or retroactively imagine, we had a good team. And those were good years. And sometimes we didn't have enough jerseys for people who showed up wanting to be on the team. But not so much anymore. We have capacity for more members and affiliates. We want more people to join us on our team with our purpose and our mission and our ministry. And we know as a church in ministry, as a church whose calling is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, we must realize that what we do here on our home field 
has to have an impact on what we do out there. This, to me, is at the center of our vision for what and how and why we build for the future. As a church in ministry, we must remember that wherever we go, wherever we go with a proclamation of good news, words that teach, and actions that heal, God already is there. God is already doing redemptive work. God already is moving in the hearts and minds and in the homes, hopes and broken lives of all people. After all, building for the future, God's kingdom building work did not end with the death and resurrection of Jesus or even with the book of Revelation. God continues to build. We are called to join God and to join others as we witness together the creative and redemptive power of God. After all, we know. We know in faith, deep faith, that God's best days are in the future. So may we always believe. And in response, so may we always love and grow and serve. Amen. Well, God, on this day, remind us of what it means to be your community of faith. Remind us that we live to point beyond ourselves to something greater. We live to point to you and your glory, your presence in the world. That we live to learn and grow in your story, the biblical story that grounds us in time and space, connects us with saints and with sinners, and shows us the path that takes us to hope, to life. Remind us, too, that we live to care for the world, for the hungry, the homeless, those sexually trafficked, those who are exploited, people within our city and county that know not food to eat or a place to lay their head, but that you call us out beyond ourselves to feed, clothe, mend, to repair, to love our neighbors, for we have been marked with your sign of baptism. Remind us, too, that we are here to worship not ourselves or not our glory, but your glory, your honor, your praise, and to shape ourselves by the gospel of Jesus Christ in the challenges of justice, peace, and mercy. Mold us and shape us in all the many ways that you can so that we might bear your vision into the world and that we might take our love to the world around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our colleagues. And along our way, O oh God, remind us of all the many women and men who have served you and served this country with distinction and honor, veterans who have given of themselves, some given of their very lives, that we might pursue the cause of peace and mercy in this world and in the world to come. Grant us grace upon this land that we might lift up all that brings hope and mercy, all that witnesses to kindness and inclusion. All that is a proclamation of the signs of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who marks us in distinctive ways, but who washes us with hope in the waters of baptism. The one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.